There was a family that uh, had a nice house in, in Palm Beach, Florida. You can picture a nice fancy house in Palm Beach, Florida. Think about a beautiful home uh, situated on a few acres, kind of set up like, 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 a, like a park setting. And uh, there were some TV producers that were coming into Palm Beach, and they wanted to find a house that they could record like a car chase in. And they're like, this house is amazing. And so the people living there were like, man, this would be awesome. Like, our house could be on national TV. Yes, of course, you can film at our property. And so a couple weeks later, the camera, camera people show up with their cameras, and they're getting on roll, and there's these cars doing all these, think of like Dukes of Hazards, right? Like all these like car things in the yard. Uh, they're tearing up the grass. They're tearing up the shrubs, uh, tearing out the, the flower beds. And it was going really good until one of the neighbors got a little bit concerned and decided to call the owner of the house. The owner actually lived in New York City and had rented the house out to this family. And so the owner starts calling anybody they can. What is going on? Who gave you permission to have these cars destroy my property? (laughs) Can you imagine getting that phone call? That, though, is the difference between a renter and an owner. An owner has a different responsibility. An owner has a concern for the welfare, for the overall success of whatever it happens to be. And renters don't always have the same responsibility. In fact, uh, I really would love to get a, t- a T-shirt. So whenever you like, go out of town and you rent a car, I'd love to get a shirt that, you know, you go to the rental counter that says, I drive it like I stole it, right? That would be just the greatest shirt to wear at the rental car agency, drive it like you stole it. When you think like an owner, it kind of changes the way you view things. In fact, uh, my kids and I, this past week, we watched a great movie, and I would highly recommend it. It's called Flaming Hot. Uh, it's on Disney+. Plus. It is a ridiculous movie, but I loved it. All right, Flaming Hot is a story about a guy by the name of, of Richard Montanez, and he uh, long ago was a janitor working for a Frito-Lay factory. Think about Frito-Lay potato chips. He was a janitor working in the factory, and, uh, you know, there was a, a dip in the economy, and so Frito-Lay, they're, they're having some problems financially. They're laying people off, and, and it, you know, their factory may end up closing. And so everybody's like, what do we do? What are we supposed to do about this? And so the uh, Frito-Lay president, a guy by the name of Roger, uh, Roger Enrico, he decides to record a video. He's going to send out to all the employees. And in that video, there's a bunch of things he says, but that Richard Montanez hears one statement. He says, you are this company. I want you to think like an owner. Now, despite Montanez's co-workers, they were like, dude, you just need to stay in your lane. You know, Montanez begins to think, man, if I were to think like an owner, what would I do to save our company, to save our factory? Montanez realizes, you know, one of the things that Frito-Lay is missing out on is the growing Hispanic uh, population. And there's no chips that are geared towards, no snack foods geared towards them. And so Montanez comes up with his own version of hot Cheetos. You know, the the Cheetos that get your hands all red and disgusting and amazing? So he pitches this to the company president. Company president's like, wow, this is hot, but this is amazing. Goes on, ends up blowing up, becoming this huge sensation, huge success, because a janitor said, man, I need to start thinking about and thinking like an owner and how I can help and make an impact to save our company, to save our factory. There's something amazing happens when we begin to shift our thinking to think, no, I'm an owner. 
our perspective changes. We begin to think, man, I have a responsibility and I'm willing to do whatever it takes for the success of the organization because I'm thinking like an owner. Now, this past year at Restoration Church, we've been studying the book of Acts. Looking at how the book of Acts, you saw the early church literally become a movement that impacted everything around them. And I can't say for you, but I'd say for me, like I dream about God doing that same thing right here in Yakima. God changing everything around us. I think about families that are in years and years and cycles of, of, of uh, dysfunction and divorce and pain. Families in our own families, families in our city. And I begin to think, man, imagine if God would begin to redeem some of that and set people free. Could you imagine our children and our children's children's not experiencing the same pain and hardship that we go through? Doesn't that sound remarkable? I begin thinking about so many people in our city that are struggling with, with drug and, and alcohol and pornography and all sorts of addictions because they're trying to numb the pain inside of them. Imagine, imagine if God would bring healing and set people free. Could you like, doesn't that get you excited? Thinking about the depression and anxiety and doubt that is just endemic in our society. What if God brought healing and those things no longer ruled and reigned, but people experienced freedom and hope and faith and confidence and trust? And imagine this, what if they had Peace. I begin to think about the religious oppression in our society. Religious guilt and anger. Man, what if God brought freedom from that through the power of the gospel? You ever think about those things? About what would it actually look like for God to allow the church today to become a movement that begins to heal the broken parts of our cities, of our families, of our neighborhoods. And the question is, if the church has become a movement, I mean, this is what we've been talking about for a year. If the church is going to become a movement, how do we get there? How do we become a movement? I'll tell you what, it's not going to be from really good preaching. It's not going to be from a great leader on stage telling us this is what we do. We don't become a movement by having this worship team up here leading us into great worship. We don't become a movement but just by getting a bunch of people in a room to come to church. How do we do that? How do we become a movement that changes our city? Today, I want to speak a little bit from uh, my heart. I'll tell you what, I love what's happening here at Restoration Church. I love what God is doing. It is amazing. But as I begin to think about, man, what would make the biggest difference for our church? What would make the biggest difference for Restoration, for Yakima? And I think my conclusion is I'm realizing what would make the biggest difference if we realize church is not just a participant sport? If we 
realize that church is not just something that we come to, to consume. We're not just supporters of the church. In fact, we're not even just members of a church. Now, the biggest difference that we could have on our church to become a movement is if we began to think, I'm not just a participant, I'm an owner. I have a responsibility to the church. This isn't Kevin's church. This isn't someone, this is my church. This is our church. This is your church. Because when we begin to think about it like this, guess what? The success of the church, the mission of the church, the gospel permeating our city, that doesn't just fall on Kevin and some other leaders. But that's something for every one of us to embrace and say, I have a part to play in to see the church become all that God has called it to be. And and I think if together, if together we would embrace that responsibility, I think we'd be overwhelmed with what God could do in us and through us this year. This morning we're going to be looking in, in Romans chapter 12. Romans is a theologically rich book. Uh, one of the most theologically rich books in the entire New Testament. And really, it's all about the gospel. In the book of Romans, uh, Paul lays out like just how our sinful nature, like we, every one of us in this room, we are sinners by nature. We are bent towards rebellion against God. We are, every one of us, but by birth, we're sinners. And, and because of that sin nature within us, that makes us guilty before God. And it doesn't matter how hard we try to be a good person. It doesn't matter how many religious works we do. It doesn't matter what we do. There's nothing we can do to make us right with God. But fortunately, the book of Romans talks about this great exchange where through Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross, he exchanges with us. He takes our sinfulness and he gives us his righteousness. He takes our place. This is what the gospel, this is what Christianity is all about. This is what makes Christianity different than every other religion. Every other religion says, here's what you have to do to make God loves you. And Christianity is this. God loves you and sent his son to die for you. He's done it in your place. That is what Romans is all about. Jesus in our place. And so in the book of Romans, there's 11 chapters where Paul details this again and again and again. And then we get to Romans chapter 12. And this is kind of a response, how we're supposed to live in light of what Jesus has done for us. It says in in verse 1, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, which means we're to have our lives that are fully dedicated to God and what he wants. That's that's our our sacrifice. That's our worship, is to to live our lives. God, I'm yours, whatever you want from me. Then verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be renewed by the renewing of your minds. What he's saying is because of what Jesus has done for you, because of the gospel, Listen, we need to have our minds transformed. Our minds need to be renewed. We need to think differently than the way our nature wants us to think. 
And Paul's going to go on through the rest of chapter 12 and say, here's a bunch of ways that we need our, our, our thinking renewed. But we're going to look at three things today in just three verses. Three ways that we need our thinking renewed, that we need to think differently if we're going to understand God's purpose for the church and what God could do in us and through us. First thing we need renewed is we need to have a right view of ourselves. This is what he says in verse 3. He says, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, you should not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Again, remember the context. Paul's talking about renewing our minds. You got to think differently. And this includes not thinking highly of ourselves, having a sober judgment in view of ourselves. And why is that? Well, can we acknowledge that our nature is intoxicated with self? Are we not self-consumed? Do we not think of ourselves highlier, more high than we thought, more, more high than we should? I mean, just, I mean, if we're going to be honest, like how quick are we to begin to compare ourselves with other people? Well, I'm more attractive than that person. I'm a better person than them. I work harder than them. I'm more deserve. I mean, these are, I mean, if we're going to be honest, these are the thoughts that run through our mind. That we become jealous of somebody else because, well, I've worked harder than them. I'm more deserving than them. I come from the right family. I've got the right education. I'm better. I'm whatever it happens to be. I'm self-made. That makes me, oh, look how, look how much I've overcome. My bank account, that proves. My bank account, it proves I'm clearly smarter and better than everybody else. I mean, if we're going to be honest, our sin nature comes to that point where we begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And if we're going to be honest, it happens in church. We look at other people and we're like, man, I'm a better Christian than that person. You know the kind of stuff they watch? Do you know the kind of things that they do? <laughs> I understand Scripture better than all these other people. I've got more wisdom. I've got more experience. I don't cuss like them. I haven't made the same mistakes as that person. Because we're consumed with ourselves, making ourselves better than other people. And how many problems do we create how many problems are created in our world and in our churches because we think so highly of ourselves that we put others down, we exalt ourselves, we create a hierarchy that says, I belong up here and the rest of y'all belong down here because I'm better than you? This is why Paul says, no, we need sober judgment. Not to be intoxicated with ourselves, we need a sober assessment of ourselves. We need to humble ourselves and realize Every single person. Paul just said this. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners in need of grace. And this renewing of our mind, this renewing of our mind means we're not, we're not great people who just need to add a little God to our life. No, we're sinners dependent on his grace. We are sinners dependent on God working in us and through us. We can do nothing apart from him. Now, this is where sober judgment means we look at ourselves in humility. 
and recognize I am what I am by the grace of God. I've accomplished what I've accomplished by the grace of God. In fact, Augustine, the great church father, he said this. He said, if you're going to go, if you're going to learn about God's ways, the first thing you have to learn is humility. The second thing you have to learn is humility. The third thing you have to learn, guess what? Humility. See, our minds have got to be renewed. And we have to have a sober judgment, a sober understanding of ourselves to recognize we're not great, we're not special. We are sinners who are redeemed by the grace of God, repentant before him. That is who we are. We need our minds renewed to understand who we are. Secondly, we need our minds to be renewed to recognize the diversity of the church. He says in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. Paul is talking about the church. In Scripture, oftentimes, uh, one of the primary pictures that we have about the church, Scripture calls it a body. The church is a body. And he says, we as Christians, we are a part of one body. We're part of one church. So what's the problem with that? Well, again, let's think about our nature. Think about this. Think about, think about the people you are closest to, your circle of influence. Who are the people you like to hang out with? Who are they? Typically, they're people just like you. We like to be around people who are similar to us. Our friend group, our, our, our circle of influence is people, similar economic status, similar hobbies, similar passions, of course, similar politics, right? Often the same color as us. Typically, they like the same sports teams as us. You know, kind of like, you know, Chick-fil-A workers and 49er fans, guess what they have in common? They're going to take today off, right? That's what's going to happen today. That's a 49ers joke for you. I threw that in. (laughs) Two cups of coffee. (laughs) We choose the people around us that are similar to us. And this is why Paul says our mind has to be transformed. Our thinking has to be renewed because the church, this church, this collection of, of sinners saved by grace, guess what? There are many members of it that form the different parts of the body that belong together. I mean, you think about the different parts. of the, you Think about hands. Hands and feet. They're pretty different, right? Like your hands, you wash your hands 20 times a day. Your feet, man, they get stinky at the end of the day, right? Like go cover them up because they stink, right? But they belong to the same body. They belong together in, an, in, a, in a sense. I think about the eye and the stomach. You might think the eye and the stomach, like, what do they have together? Well, I'll tell you what, my stomach hates my eyes because my eyes will see a banana cream pie, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to eat that whole thing. My stomach's like, what are you doing? Stop eating. You need to stop. But guess what? Both of them are part of the body. They both belong to the body. They're both needed. See, within the church, we don't get to pick and choose who's part of the body. We don't get to pick and choose. We are 
connected together. All of us from different places, different backgrounds, different experiences, we are connected together. Different economic backgrounds, different education, different hobbies, different races, different views of politics. We are one body coming together. Paul gives an example of it, and he starts talking about spiritual gifts, verses 6 through 8. It says, God has gifted people differently. Some people are planners, and others are free spirits who just roll with it. Praise God for both of them. They're both a part of the body. Some people are leaders. Some people are servants. Some people have the gift of mercy. Some people have the, the gift of teaching. And guess what? The church, we need all of it. All those gifts make the church beautiful and wonderful and able to be what God has called it to be. Is it hard? Bringing together all these different views and different things? Yeah? That's why Paul includes this in this phrase of our minds have to be renewed to recognize there is a diversity in this group. And if the church is going to become a movement, become all that God has called us to be, We've got to value that diversity. We've got to be willing to humble ourselves and have a right view of ourselves and value the differences in this room. Number one, renew our thinking, have a right view of ourselves. Number two, recognize the diversity in the church. Number three, we have to actually belong to one another. Here's what it says in verse five. We, though we are many, we are one body in Christ. Indiv- listen to this. Individually, members of one another. Do you hear? Individually, we're individuals, but we are members of one another. In fact, the New Living Translation actually translates this as we actually belong to one another. We belong to one another. And again, context, Paul's talking about, hey, we need to have a renewed thinking. Why? Because our natural self tends to be a little independent, right? I don't need other people. I can do it myself. We sound like toddlers. Oh, I don't need you to do that for me, Mom. I can do it myself as we make a mess and make a, a mess out of everything. We get adults and we're like, I don't need other people. People slow me down. People get in my way. People annoy me. I don't need other people. No, Paul says we need to be, have our thinking renewed. Because we don't just need each other. But Paul says, we as a church, we actually belong together. There's a connectedness that we have. We are part of the same body. We are intertwined together, and we don't have a choice in it. Because here's what Paul's saying. If, if you have a relationship with Jesus, guess what? If you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a relationship with the church. If you're connected to the Savior, you're connected to the body. You don't have a choice about it. You don't choose that. You can't have one without the other. They go hand in hand. You can't have Jesus without the church. Which means church isn't always about you. Church is not about you. It's about the body. It's about the whole. It's about the different parts. We are connected. 
We need one another. We belong together. For, for the body to function as the way God has called us to, we have to have this connection and recognize we belong to one another. In fact, simplest way for me to, to give you a picture of this, 20-some years ago, I worked uh, at a warehouse. I drove a forklift, and I worked the night shift, and I hated it. Uh, but there was one night, I'm driving the forklift, and I'm stalking all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, man, it's like hour till we're done, and I'm tired. I want to go home and go to bed. And I'm, I'm open a box, and my box knife slipped, and, and I cut my forearm. I cut, there's about a three-inch cut right here. And I'm like, oh, man, work's done in an hour. If I go get this, tell the supervisor, man, it's going to paperwork, and probably send me to the ER, and I'm like, I don't want, that's going to be like two hours. I don't want it. I want to go to bed. So I did what men do, right? I grabbed some paper towels, put it right here, and got some duct tape and wrapped it around, right? I'm good to go. I kept working. <laughs> but a half hour later, uh, I had replaced those, uh, those uh, paper towels two or three times as my arm just oozed all sorts of weird stuff out of it. I started losing feeling in my hand. I got lightheaded. My body felt a little bit weak. Why? Because our bodies belong together. When one part of us hurts, guess what? The whole of it hurts. When one part of us isn't working, the whole of it suffers. You see, that's why God is giving us this picture of the church as being a body. That there's this, we belong together. And for us to be all that God calls us to be, we need everyone pulling their weight and doing their part. And when one part is gone, the whole part, the whole body suffers. So what are we saying here? How does Romans 12 connect to the church becoming a movement? Well, again, Paul's context is us Christians, we need to have our thinking renewed. We need to think differently about ourselves and have a humble view of ourselves. He's saying we need to view the church different, that it is diverse. There's lots of things coming together. And it can be messy, but it's necessary and somehow, even though we come together, somehow we have this belonging together where there's this connectedness, and we've got to figure this out for us to be all that God has called us to be. And see, if we can grasp those three things and have our thinking renewed, to be humble, to recognize the diversity, and realize we belong together, and we have to be together to be what God has called us to be. I think that's how the church becomes a movement. In fact, here's my summary for this, for, this, for this text. That it's our belonging to one another. Belonging to one another gives us each a part of the responsibility of the church. You hear that? The fact that we belong together means the responsibility of the church doesn't fall on a few leaders. Every one of us belongs to this body. Every one of us has a part of that responsibility, which means this church, its health, its success, its fulfillment of its mission, its, its making a difference in our city, all of us have a responsibility towards those means. 
what makes this hard is so many times view church kind of like going through the buffet line, right? We look at church saying, you're just there to meet my desires and meet my wishes. Like, like I want a little roast beef. I want some mashed potatoes. I want some of the banana cream pie, but I do not want any of those vegetables. Somebody else can have those. Somebody else can do this and that. And we step into church kind of that same way. You're there to meet what I want. Oh, I like that pastor. He preaches really well. I like, man, their worship is amazing. Oh, man, that church, their kids' ministry, and their whatever else it happens to be. Where we make church about my needs, about what I want, about what I prefer. And so when we step in and we're like, man, I'm in this church, and I don't like that guy, I don't like that guy. Easier for me to say, I'm, I'm out. This is why I think it's important for us to ask that question of, are we willing to allow God to renew our minds, to change the way that we think? Listen, what if church is not about you? What if church is not about you? Now, let me clarify something here. I want you (laughs) to get something out of our services, right? I hope that our teaching, as we teach scripture week after week, I hope it is deep and accessible. I hope that the worship music is worshipful and celebratory. I hope that that kids' ministry and youth ministry and, and, and small groups and the other things that we do here, I hope they minister to your needs. But what if we think church isn't just about me and my needs? What if God is calling you to be a part of a body that sometimes has warts, that sometimes has scars, that sometimes is a little funky, sometimes its feet stink? Now, I realize a lot of us carry some church baggage, right? We've got some church hurt. We've been in church and we've been wronged. We've been in church and, and things have fallen apart and if it's been ugly, it's hard for us to, to trust the church. Man, they've, they've, they've done this. And, and, and I'll just come and get what I can get out of it, but I don't actually have to belong to it. I don't need to commit to the church. Listen, I know that church hurt is a reality for many people. And let me say this, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what you've experienced. But here's what I do know about the church. God calls the church to be a body. I think the church body is a lot like our own bodies, right? Our own bodies are frail. They're not perfect. Our own bodies let us down at times. Our own bodies, we wake up and we're like, there's a new ache and a new pain. I don't know where that came from. Our bodies need healing just as much as the church body does. This is why it's significant as Paul talks about renewing our minds. This is why number one is that we have a humble view of ourselves to recognize, hey, again, our nature is going to be stubborn. Our nature is going to be selfish. Our nature is going to focus on ourselves instead of others, which means if we're humble, we're going to recognize, sometimes I can be in jerk. If we're humble, we're going to recognize sometimes I can be wrong. There's times I have to apologize. 
There's times I have to say, would you forgive me? There's times I have to repent. There's times you have to say, hey, I forgive you. I'm going to choose to forgive instead of to hold on to it. I can't promise it's easy, but I will promise it's worth it. I will promise it's worth it. In fact, thinking about this, application point for today. Here's a question I'm asking you. What have you thought about this church like an owner? What if I was a CEO of Frito-Lay and I'm asking you, hey, would you begin to think about the church like an owner? Which means this isn't Kevin's church. This isn't Jake's church. This isn't your family's church. This isn't, no, this is your church. This is your church. Which means you have a responsibility to this place, to this thing. Because I tell you, as an owner, owners don't get to sit in a seat and just critique all the problems and complain about everything. Owners have a stake in the success. They have a responsibility to invest themselves, to make things better. And if we thought about the church like an owner, guess what that means? We begin to think, instead of wishing someone would do something, man, I wish they would do this. I wish someone would do that. You know what owners say? I'm in. Let's figure it out. I'll I'll give my best. I'll bring suggestions. All speak well of the church. All be involved. In fact, if we viewed ourselves as the owners, it would change how we attend church. I mean, half the time it's like, well, I'll be there if I don't have anything else going on. I'll be there if my schedule allots for it. But do me a favor, just look around this room. Just look around. Look at some people around you. You come to church, someone needs you. This is the body. We need each other. Someone needs you. They need your word of encouragement. They need your your affirmation. They need your hug. They need your prayers. Sometimes people in this room, they need you to kick them in the pants. Say, you're being a jerk. That's okay to do. Like if we're owners and recognizing like we belong together, Man, it's not just coming because I've got freedom in my schedule. It's coming to say, hey, this person across the aisle, I belong to them. Again, I've said this a couple times in the book of Acts. What if we viewed church and every morning it was saying, God, who is it you're calling me to speak to today? Who do I need to give a word of encouragement? Who do I need to give a hug to to make a difference? What does it look like to be an owner in the church? I'll tell you what, it looks like the people who came over uh, yesterday and set up the basement for all this chili feed. How much time has gone into preparing uh, uh, buckets of chili? I don't even know how we're serving it. I just know there's a bunch of chili. That's what an owner does. An owner, I think about, we've got five or six people that have decided, hey, we want to grow in our leadership so the church gets stronger leaders. So they've committed to the leadership development group every month. They're reading books. They're writing papers. They're doing these things. That's what an owner does. They say, I want to improve the church. And if I can grow my leadership and become a leader in the church, that's me taking some ownership. 
The owners look like the people who come early to prepare the coffee because we sure want to come to church and have a cup of coffee. Guess what? Someone's got to make that coffee. Owner says, I'll be a part of that. Owners say, man, the church is trying to make a difference in the city. That means that when we're talking about this, this ministry we're doing at Roosevelt Elementary, and how, how can I be involved in that? Yeah, there's, there's awesome things happening at Roosevelt. It's an easy place for the church to engage our city. What do you need? I'll tell you what, we've been doing the, the stuff during the school days. Uh, I'm excited. We've got a couple of opportunities here in the next couple of weeks to do some stuff in the evenings which means there's no work in the evenings, which means a lot of us should be able to say, man, I've got some time now because I'm not at work. I could figure out how to be a part of that. You know what owners do? Owners say, hey, I want you to come with me to church. Owners take that type of responsibility. An owner doesn't say, oh, 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 that's somebody else's job. An owner says, nope, that needs to be done. I'm involved. Listen, that doesn't mean we don't have structure. God's given structure to the church. God's called me as a lead pastor to to lead the church in love. God's called our elders to to shepherd and ensure that our doctrine remains faithful to Scripture. God's called Jake to his role in, in administration. He's called the worship leaders to lead us in worship. But I think we would see a huge difference if we began to think about the church as we belong together and we all have a responsibility towards it. In fact, I'd say this. If your life and your faith seem stuck, you're like, man, I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to do religious things. I'm praying. But I still feel like my life and my faith are stuck. Maybe you're neglecting this idea of belonging together. And you're depriving yourself of what God does when a group of people says we're a part of the body, we belong together. You know what happens? You know what happens when church becomes our church? When we all are willing to take ownership and invest and in giving ourselves away, that's when the church becomes a powerful tool in the hands of God to make a difference in our city. In fact, there's a commercial that's going to play in the background. Uh, LeBron James I'm a sports guy. LeBron James grew up outside of Cleveland, got drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers, and his goal was to give Cleveland a championship. They never had one. His goal, hey, I'm going to give Cleveland a championship. And and if you know LeBron's story, he was there for several years and and got him to the playoffs, but could never get the championship, couldn't get over the hump. LeBron ended up going to Miami for a couple years. That was a dark age of him, uh, if I can say that myself. And decided in 2014, you know what? I want to go back to Cleveland and finish what I started. I want to go back to Cleveland and accomplish my goal of giving Cleveland a championship. So this commercial has LeBron and the team. They're doing what teams do beginning of the game. They, they circle up. They're huddling around each other and, like, psyching themselves up. Man, we got this. We got this. We're going to do this together. We're going to... And it's awesome because as the team is on the court, that's what you expect until one person from the stands comes and joins them. Like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And then the rest of the stands, people pour out. And they gather around and they join that circle. 
And the whole arena gathers. They leave their stands and they come around the circle and LeBron's there. We got this, guys. We're going to do this. We're going to do this together. And pretty soon, it's not just the arena. The entire city comes together. They're putting their arms around each other. They're chanting. They're like, we got this. We got this. We got this. Go, go, go team. And everybody's together. And guess what? There's this powerful picture that if we're going to accomplish this goal, it's only going to happen if we're together. That's how it happens. We are together. Amazing part of that story, guess what LeBron does? He gives that city a championship. As they came together. I'll tell you what, that's my dream for the church. That's my dream for the church. Every one of us together that we would say, this is my church. This is my church. Every one of us would be engaged and committed to working together become, to become a movement that changes our city. Imagine, imagine what God could do if we could do that. I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit corny. We did this a few weeks ago on our... Uh, uh, service on New Year's Eve, but I'm going to ask everyone to stand up and let's just come forward. You are here and able to stand. Let's just come forward. Let's be together. Let's be the picture of LeBron James. Let's gather around together. Let's lay hands on each other. Just come forward with me. Let's do this together. And let's pray. Let's pray that as we commit to being a people, that God would do something beautiful in us and through us.